Welcome to another episode of Bird Bros. I'm Ron Brown here tonight with Trent and AV to recap this past week's game against the Bucks, where the Falcons lost, and also some other happenings on the team and what we make of the first week. First of all, how you guys doing tonight? Man, I would doing. be doing better, man. But hey, what about you, AV? Man, doing good, doing good. Uh, like Trent said, I'd be doing a lot better had there been a victory on Sunday. But, you know, it what's done is done. It's time to move on and, and make it happen. Right. So uh, as the guys are alluding to, and as I said earlier, the Falcons lost their week one game against the Tampa Bay Bucks, 31-24. to uh, There were some good things that we saw and a lot of bad and head scratches as well as the team uh, looked unprepared, undisciplined in certain aspects and, there were some bright spots as well. Uh, first off, guys, each one of you all, I need one word to describe how you feel about uh, this first week. One word. Go ahead, A.V. Uh, I would say disappointed. Um, I think, you know, anybody who's looked at the Falcon schedule, uh, who's heard the chatter about this being, you know, one of the most difficult schedules, um, how important it is for Dan Quinn in his second year to establish the system, uh, everything we've seen in the offseason, um, you know, bringing the Navy SEALs and Matt Ryan training with the guys in Southern Florida. Um, there's been so much talk about what this team um, aspired to be coming into this year. And to see him lay an egg, you know, down 31-13 at one point in the third quarter, it really just makes you uh, really wonder, is it all talk, you know, and, and exactly where is this team headed uh, this year? So I would say disappointed was really my takeaway after seeing the first week. And I would say average. I mean – Average is, I just think every, every asset, I mean, every aspect of this team, like we're, we're average. We, we used to be a team, I mean, a team that was feared because of our offense, our high-powered offense, but our, our high-powered offenses actually became very average in the last two to three years. And our defense, which was probably below average the last three years, is actually, I guess you can say that that's a benefit because they actually grown to average. But, I mean, I just look at this team, like, we're very average on every – from every level. Yeah, every level. Uh, I think uh, from my observations, it was, like I mentioned earlier, the, the undisciplined with the penalties, poor tackling. I mean, we saw Charles Sims. Was that Charles Sims who made that uh, – It was Charles Sims, yep. Yeah, made that run. And I'm like looking at his – no, I'm looking at his numbers. He only had uh, nine yards rushing total, but I guess that five-yard rush was the one that, that everybody saw, which, you know, made us look silly. Uh, then you, you look at defensively, the tackling, as I mentioned, and also uh, some miscues on offense where the offensive line really wasn't blocking. We never got the run game off. Uh, Tevin Coleman and, and Devontae Freeman never got their footing. Even though Coleman looked good in the, in the passing game, uh, had five receptions, and, and Muhammad Sanu as well. But it's tough to see it coming out that flat on the first weekend. And and I, I mentioned it with AD on the podcast last week. These guys were going to come and hit us in the mouth. And, and James picked us apart, four touchdowns, 281 yards, and you know had that one pick that he threw. But still, he looked good. And the, the Bucks are a force to be reckoned with. And, of course, Dirk Cutter and – and Mike Smith coming in and getting the W, man. That hurts, too. That hurts doubly. All the former Falcons. <laughs> yeah. Brent Grimes and 
I know he didn't play last week, but they just picked up Jaquiz Rogers, so you know more. Joe Hawley. Joe Hawley. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, you know, you just look at it, and it really, you know, I I, I pose this question um, on different uh, websites. Shout out to the Collie, and and also in our group text. But uh, I think this is a big year for Dan Quinn. I think last year, um, you know, we started off great, five and zero, um, got it to five and one. Um, and then the bottom fell out, and there were just a lot of question marks about um, what was going on with the direction of the team, that 0-6 skid. It, it just seemed like we were kind of a rudderless ship at one point. Um, so, you know, you have those question marks that you kind of ended the season with, and you hope that you'd be better coming into this year. You hope that the offense would get over the Kyle Shanahan, Matt Ryan kind of, you know, discombobulation that we saw a lot of times. You would hope that the defense would have found a way to get to the pass to get to the uh, passing. You would f- hope that you'd find a pass rush at some point, bringing in Dwight Freeney, bringing in Shelby from Miami. You know, uh, hopefully Big Beasley uh, a, a, in his second year would, would start to develop. So, um, you know, seeing those those things not really unfold again is one game, but it, it really was just kind of it was more to me it was more of a trend. It wasn't even really just one game because the Falcons are three and nine in their last twelve, one and six in the division. Um, since Dan Quinn has taken over. So, you know, you got to beat the guys who you see twice a year because um, these guys are in our backyard. And if we can't compete with them, we have no chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, and that's three straight losses to the Buccaneers also who's – I mean, these this is, the Buccaneers have been a bottom-tier team in the, in, in the NFL for how many years now? So we're losing to, like, the bottom tier of the NFL. But also, I, I remember when you and um, – I don't know if it was you and AD or you actually posed a question about Dan Quinn. And at the at that moment, I was saying that you can't really um, place the blame on Dan Quinn. And I feel – I still feel like – I still feel that way to an extent. I mean, because everyone – yeah, we lack the talent. Yeah, like we just – I won't say against the Buccaneers that we lack the talent, but compared to the NFL, yes, we, we do lack the talent on both sides of the ball. Um, however, I do feel like those guys were very uninspired and that falls directly on Dan Quinn. So I will give you that credit that he didn't have his team ready to, uh, to play a football game. And I mean, it, it, what concerns me even more than that, I mean, this is, you have what, eight months where you're preparing for one opponent, uh, an opponent you see not only twice a year because it's in the division, but an opponent, we should be somewhat familiar with a lot of the schemes because we saw those schemes with Dirk Cutter and Mike Smith. But I think what's most concerning to me and the thing I've been bringing up is can Dan, can Dan Quinn coach? Is he a head coach? Um, I look at that one play uh, late in the first half, Falcons, you know, third and goal from the 17, you run a draw play, you know, and that, that play was met with booze from the home crowd and, and deservedly so. In the press conference, Dan Quinn says that we had the points. So if you have the points – why are you not with two huge receivers on either side? You got Julio Jones, arguably the best receiver in the game. You got Mohamed Sanu, who is going to be someone we get a lot of attention to because of the fact that Julio is going to bring double coverage. Why are you not attacking the smaller cornerbacks? We talked about Brent Grimes. Why are you not attacking in the end zone with a guy like Julio, a guy like Sanu? Yeah. Why are you not attacking vertically um, when you got weapons on the outside where you could potentially get a touchdown? And to me, what it goes back to is, is this coaching staff so scared of what happened last year where Matt Ryan threw the, the time, the costly interception, or 
we had a botch snap. Are they so gun shy over what happened last year that they're coaching scared in the red zone and unafraid? They're afraid to make any type of risky throw for fear that it might be a turnover. Well, look at it. Well, we, we talk about Quinn and Trent brought up, you know, being uninspired. AV brought up some of the, the questionable play call. And Trent, does it go back to your boy Kyle Shanahan? Because, I mean, <laughs> not only is it execution, but it's also a play call. And when you go one for four in the red zone, only getting one touchdown in the red zone. And, you know, of course, other the rest were, were field goals. But you look at wow. the, the margin at the end of the game, 31-24. You get one of those, or even, you know, two of those, you probably win the game. It definitely, for this instance, yeah, it definitely goes back to Kyle Shanahan because, of course, like we saw the Falcons, we saw pre-Falcons before Shanahan with Dirk Cutter on the other side, how he had Winston slinging it all across the field. So, I mean, it definitely goes back to Shanahan. And I, I do feel that there may be some hesitation with Matt Ryan. Like how much trust do um, does our coaching staff actually have in Matt Ryan? That He had that opportunity last season, and, that was his, was that his like I think in his career that was his most interceptions interceptions ever last year, so I think there is some hesitation with um, with Matt Ryan uh, I guess putting the ball in the air, but my issue with Kyle Shanahan well my biggest issue with with Kyle Shanahan was just the limited touches that Devontae Freeman got on Sunday. I mean I'm, I'm I can't like I can't say anything about Tevin Coleman. He, he yes he had a great game. But at the same time, Tevin, like, well, why did why is Tevin Coleman um, than Devontae Freeman in the pass game and in the uh, running game? Yeah, I remember AD was bringing that up when he was a pilot in the Twitter page. Was you know there was entire drives where we didn't see Freeman or maybe only saw him one or two plays, which is kind of a head scratcher when we saw what he could do last year. But it's another point I brought up was remember Tevin Coleman was drafted. To be that guy, and right. of course he had the fumbling issues last year. He had the injuries, but it's no question that Tevin Coleman has the talent. And not saying that should, you know, have him leapfrog over Freeman when he had a great year last year. But got to remember, Tevin Coleman is a talented dude. So I wouldn't be surprised I mean, to see him take take a lot. You know, maybe take over the bulk of the carries and touches. I think that you saw. I mean, just looking at it from the tape, you know. Um, it looked like Tevin Coleman had a little bit more of a, a spring in his step. I mean, he seemed to explode more. It, just from what I saw from game one, he seemed to explore, explode a little bit more with the ball in his hands. Obviously, we didn't really have a good uh, a good day rushing the ball from either running back. I mean, if Matt Ryan, who was, I think, our leading rusher in yards per carry, is your leading rusher in yards per carry, you're not going to have a good game rushing the, the ball. But it just seemed like Tevin was a little bit more explosive from what I saw coming out of the backfield. Um, but I do agree, Devontae was your workhorse last year, a thousand-yard rusher, pro bowler. He's got to have those touches. He's got to get in the flow of the game. I mean, I've, I've heard and read that Shanahan wanted to go with the hot hand. That was what his strategy was going to be. And to be honest, both we need both of those guys to play at a high level for this team to do anything. But it was curious to see where you'd see Tevin for full stretches of drives. Maybe Devontae would come in to relieve him on a, on a second down or, or, you know, a third down type situation. But, you know, he wasn't he, he wasn't able to get past uh, anybody and, and we couldn't block anybody either. So uh, it wasn't a good a good day for either one. But it was curious to see uh, with Devontae in there. And I guess yeah. you do you do switch it up as well when you got Quan Alexander and Levante David and Joe McCoy just living in your backfield. You know, like they play 
play on our side of the ball. So I guess that changes things as well. Go ahead, Trent. Yeah, we. But I was just saying, I wonder if it's injuries. I, I'm not sure. Um, not fact checking this, but I want to say Devontae Freeman missed a preseason game, and it was may have been due to an injury or just due to, I guess, fatigue. But he didn't look like himself on Sunday, even when he, you know, I'm saying he was receiving those limited touches that he did have. Yeah, he he, he, he seemed off. He he did not run with the same sort of purpose. Uh, that we saw him um, run with last year. I mean, I think last year, you know, he was a guy, he'd get hit first, um, and he would still be able to get good yards after contact. It seemed as soon as he got hit on Sunday, uh, he was pretty much done. So it, it was, you know, I don't know if he was, if he is battling an injury or, or if he just wasn't able to get free from the Bucks. but he seemed to really struggle, uh, you know, kind of getting into a groove all, all day Sunday. And I think if you're a fantasy owner of Devontae Freeman, with uh, Dan Quinn coming out today and saying they're going to you know, keep going by, with the running back by committee, maybe it's time to, to move, uh, move them if you play fantasy. And, and that's one thing, too. And that's, that's one thing, too. Like, I, you know, I, when I go back to this whole Dan Quinn thing, um, just like when you think about what Dan Quinn was brought in for, was really for the defense. Because I feel like everyone felt like the offense was pretty much set. Like, they, we just needed to get the defense together. And it just goes back to the fact that you had all these penalties, uh, a team that was so undisciplined, a team that was undisciplined with their emotions, with their temper at home. You know, thinking about Robert Alford and that unsportsmanlike penalty that he drew that kept the drive alive for, uh, for Tampa. I mean, just thinking about the fundamentals of the game, being able to get to the to the quarterback from a pass rush perspective, um, you know, those are the things. Like it, it just keeps coming back to me as the more I think about it. Just where is that from a coaching perspective? Because if you look at this game, who do you pin it on? And I feel like it really was lost by the coaches and not being prepared. Mm, so, yeah, I, I think the blame is on both. You know, execution by the players and then coaches not play calling, play calling and everything uh, in that aspect. Any other last thoughts on the on this uh, past weekend's game before we move on to other Falcons news? I mean, the only thing that I would say is just, um, you know, thinking big picture and thinking what this Falcons team could be. I mean, Oakland is not going to be, you know, I know we'll talk about Oakland coming up, but Oakland is not going to be an easy game. It's going to be their home opener. They're excited. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Oakland potentially being a player um, to make the, make the playoffs this year. So the Falcons kind of blew a, a really easy opportunity. Tampa's not a, a pushover, but we really blew an opportunity to, uh, to get on the board because uh, Oakland in Oakland is not going to be easy. So it'll be interesting to see how we respond on the road, um, you know, as a, as a kind of a, almost a, I think almost a six or seven point underdog going into Oakland. So. It'll be interesting to see how we respond um, after this week's disappointment. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, going into Oakland, who beat uh, our conference or our division foes, the hated New Orleans Saints, in a close one. But, um, you know, some other Falcons news came out the other day, or I guess yesterday, this earliest week. Um, Falcons D lineman Rasheed Hagman was, you know, he didn't play. On Sunday, which I didn't even notice until you know this was brought up, but he was involved in a domestic violence case back in March, charged with three misdemeanors in DeKalb County uh, in Georgia. So, of course, the Falcons kind of said they were going with more of a nickel, 
uh, let's see if I can find this quote here from Quinn. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, I guess Quinn was saying they were going to to be a bigger nickel game, so we chose to have Courtney Upshaw instead of uh, Hagman, which I don't know if I believe that. I think <laughs> with the domestic violence uh, allegations and everything, but quick question also before my yeah. go ahead. I don't remember seeing Courtney Upshaw either on Sunday. Even if he and if he was out there, he didn't uh, make a play he, or anything. I don't. He was in. He was in there. He was in there. Okay, he was just quiet then. Yeah, she, took, nobody on defense like, really made any <laughs> from the D line. It was like playing seven on seven or something with no pass rush. But uh, with this news, I mean, what what are y'all saying with Rasheed Hagman? Of course, he was. Remember seeing him on on Hard Knocks and Brian Cox getting into him to push him to be a better player. He's supposed to be an impact guy from the inside. Uh, earlier this season, earlier in the year, Falcons said they were going to move him to more of a DN type role. How do y'all feel about him? Is this another bad pick by TD? Uh, I, think, I think it's very unfortunate, just because I feel like Hagman was a guy that was actually becoming. Of their like he wasn't of course becoming a star or anything, but he was he was becoming a very proficient some guy that we can a rotational guy that was actually productive. And I just hate the um I guess to hear this news from him because from the Falcons perspective, if they're not playing him, which I mean you just gave that um, whatever Quinn's bogus uh reasoning was for them, <laughs> they're not playing him because of um that arrest back in March. And the details too, like if there's any truth to those details, then his career may be over with. So I think that's why they're not really touching him and allowing him to play because they don't feel um, completely safe with it. I mean, there was a minor involved in these incidents. So, I mean, it's, I think it may be over for him. I mean, my, my thought is, you know, this incident happened back in March. You know, the Falcons, you know, didn't talk about it. I think that's kind of been their policy whenever they have, you know, these type of off-the-field incidents. And it's really been sort of the mantra of this this organization since the Michael Vick era. Anytime a player has any type of off-the-field incident, they are really quick to kind of distance themselves, even this offseason. Uh, I forget the young man um, who had some rape charges Tory Green, yeah. Right, and the the Falcons pretty much did away with him pretty quickly. I think as far as um as far as Hageman is concerned, you know, Hageman is – I mean, what has this guy been really? You know, second-round pick out of Minnesota a few years ago. Uh, he has been, a, to me, a consistent disappointment, underachiever, inconsistent. Um, there's nothing that he's done to justify being on this team without these allegations, without these charges. So to me, with this coupled on top, he should be cut. He should be released. He, he doesn't bring anything dynamic to the team. If you think that you have to create uh, that kind of quote where he doesn't fit into, you know, one of our, you know, nickel or dime packages or whatever it is, I mean, what does that say about what this guy means to the, the value of the defense? It's, it's not like this is a defense brimming with talent. So for him to have committed these acts – um, and to still, to me, not really be that great of a player, I, I think the decision needs to be pretty simple and quick. He can go, and I don't really think we would lose much uh, by getting getting rid of him. I think the Falcons have more to lose by keeping the guy on the roster and, and being pretty ambivalent on whether or not he's even going to play or not. So uh, I would hope the Falcons will go ahead and move forward um, and get rid of him. Wow. So AD saying – 
Cut him. I mean, he's, he's like, a French cut, it, so cut it. He doesn't have the <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he doesn't have any levers on his side. Yeah, he's, he he needs to go. It's I I don't really see what he what he's bringing to the team, um, and and I hate to think about it like that because anytime you're talking a domestic violence situation, especially uh, including a minor, that's you know more important than the football part of it. But uh, we live in the real world, and a lot of these decisions are made on the value of what that player means to the team, and uh, he, he doesn't bring anything to the team that would justify keeping him here on his football talent alone, let alone coupled with this. So. Um, and I think it's interesting too. Another aspect of this is, you know, Dan Quinn is, he has the final say so over the final 53. He obviously, he did not draft Rasheed Hageman. Um, that was a, you know, Dimitrov under Smitty, uh, regime where he got drafted. But at the same time, you know, I just wonder what the, what the dynamic is or what the relationship is with wanting to keep this guy, you know, a guy who's gotten into it with Brian Cox, you know, the position coach you know, on the sideline, in practice. You've seen, like you said earlier, Rome, on hard knocks. Um, so I just wonder if there's something more to this story that has prevented the Falcons from releasing him. Because, you know, like we said, this happened in March. So it's not like this is something new. So I'm wondering, um, you know, what it is that really is keeping him uh, tied to this team. Because big picture, you know, the more of these guys that start to continue to wash out, it paints Dimitrov in a bad light, but it also paints Dan Quinn in a bad light because he's making the final say so on who's on this roster. Right. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate all around. Uh, when you look at the status of this team, when we don't really have much up front, we can't rush the pass. Well, we suppose we supposedly we believe we have a lot up front, but with the way we're performing, more than anything, I would say, can't rush the passer. Uh, Tampa Bay had a pretty decent game running the football, and and you got a team in Oakland who has some uh, talent in the backfield, and you got to be able to stop the run in the league in general. So, and I, I really want to switch to another defensive lineman or a linebacker or whatever position we call him right now, and and that's Vic Beasley. Oh, I read some some. Uh, oh, man. I was following along with Av uh, on the Collie dot com and our Falcons thread, and Av was saying he might want to call Vic Beasley a bus. So, hey, if you give me what you, you wanted to say about Vic Beasley, man, I'll let you have the floor. What are you, what's yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, man. Um, you know, it, you know, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, the, the saga of Vic Beasley, the saga of Vic Beasley, like, wh- you know, what's, what do we have? What are, what's going on? Last year was his first year, you know, battled some, uh, some shoulder uh, labrum issues. Um, you know, that that was something that he dealt with apparently for the entire season, didn't really complain about it, played through it as best he could. Um, he finished, I think, with, what, four, four and a half sacks. Uh, probably his best game was uh, the game against the Panthers at the Dome where he, you know, forced fumbles, sacked Cam Newton. He played really inspired that day. So um, there was a lot expected of him in the offseason. Uh, he was introduced to a new position as a Sam linebacker in addition to you know, his uh, current position of uh, being a down lineman. Um, But there's been, you know, some chatter. There's been some, you know, people kind of looking at his situation, looking at his play and not really coming away impressed. Um, I know we're quick to label people busts and, you know, disappointments and stars really quickly um, off of a few games and off a small sample size. But, uh, yeah, I said it on the collie and I'm going to say it here. He's a bust. 
he wow. had he, he has to prove otherwise and the reason why i say that is because uh, there's a few reasons one i look at i look at the fact that he had to get moved to a sam linebacker position so he's still in the midst of learning a new position in his second year so you got to give him a little bit of a break with that but i i look at the level of impact of play that he had he didn't show up in the stat sheet at all uh, on sunday no sacks no quarterback hurries no hits no tackles nothing he didn't have one single statistic uh on sunday and as a second year player even though he is learning a new position that's scary you know beasley was a guy that they ran at at times you know on sunday and they were able to have some success. So what that means is they're able to point out, okay, we know that this is going to be a weak, a weakness for the Falcons. That's not the reason he was brought here. He was brought here to be, you know, a pass rusher and somebody get after the quarterback. Um, and that's not happening. So I do look at it, you know, it is tough to label somebody, but until proven otherwise, Big Beasley is a bust. He did not have a great game. He didn't have even a decent game on Sunday. And his level of play, even if you look at the preseason, has tapered off dramatically. So um, I don't know what you do with that because Big Beasley, the first pick of the Dan Quinn administration, I might add, he's a guy that has to play at a high level and he's got to be an impact player because you don't have a lot of those on this defense. So, you know, if he's not somebody who is going to be able to get to the quarterback, affect the quarterback, get the quarterback off of his spot, then you really are kind of looking around like where is the pass rush going to come from? So he's a guy the Falcons have got to get to a high level because if he can't play at a high level, then this defense is going to be in a lot of trouble. So I look at it, I, I say he's a bust, you know, until proven otherwise, Big Beasley's a bust. Wow. Yeah. Well, for Falcons fans, hope let's, let's really hope that A.V. is wrong because uh, we need I hope impact. I'm wrong too. I yeah, hope yeah. I'm wrong. Like I don't want to be I right about. Every, I, hope about this. Caught, I hope everyone caught that uh, the jab that AV just threw at uh, Dan Quinn. Also, if you've been listening to this, AV, <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to get Dan Quinn up out of here. Right? Oh man, don't do that to me, Trey. <laughs> yeah, you've been trying to get Quinn out since last year. Really, now that no, I think about no, it. No, no, I, I do not. I don't it. want Quinn fired. That's not what but, I'm. Uh, <laughs> not what I'm saying. But I agree with you when it comes to Big Beasley. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I was on uh, on record for just saying I didn't uh, I didn't like the pick from the from the start. I just don't. And I can't. I I don't have any trust in Clemson defensive ends and just in their in them producing in the NFL. And I just saw the same thing with with Big Beasley. Um, for also with him changing positions, I don't think that's to his benefit. I think he could have been more dangerous as a, a down lineman just because he could use his speed. I mean, you alluded to that earlier. I mean, yeah, earlier we saw the glimpse of that in that Carol in that Carolina game last uh, last year. But it just him as a Sam linebacker, I don't really see where he where he can be productive. Even I mean, of course he didn't show that in week one. But yeah, I'm I was never on the um the Vic Beasley bandwagon and I mean, he's not giving anybody a uh, reason to be on it either right now. Well, I think when you look at him moving a linebacker, it's more to take advantage of his speed. While if you have him on the line, we saw um, he's not really ready to – he still doesn't have the strength to go up against, you know, a left tackle or even a right tackle, whatever side he's playing on. And his moves aren't there either. We saw a clip where 
I mean, he looked almost like a newborn elephant, you know, trying to get his foot in, <laughs> fell down. So I guess that move to Sam linebacker was more to take advantage of his speed. And I, mean, I know his moves are. I mean, I know. Yeah, I know his moves are very pedestrian. They're terrible. But I mean, I felt like a, bringing a guy like Dwight Freeney in would definitely help Vic Beasley's career also as a down lineman. So I thought that, that would benefit him. But I mean, if he's moving to uh, the same linebacker, I don't see how the Dwight Freeney. You know, what I'm saying he can learn much from Dwight Freeney if he's not playing the same position. Well, we got to pump the brakes a little bit too. It's only the first game. Uh, well, it's been a year for him though. Well, so. for for him, but uh, but if you're talking about Dwight Freeney, I guess. If you're going to try to use the Freeney spin move, it's going to take more than, you know, how many weeks has Freeney been on the team? You know, four or five weeks to learn oh, it. So. I agree. I, agree. I, so. I mean, I think even besides the Dwight Freeney, you know, and I think that was one of the major selling points for bringing Freeney to the team, which at the time I kind of disagree with. Like, I, you know, it's great that Freeney has a lot of experience and he's been, a, you know, played the position at a high level. I want Freeney here to sack the quarterback. I mean, if he by osmosis teaches Dick Beasley how to get to the quarterback, that's great. But I don't want him here as a, primarily as a teacher. I need for Dwight Freeney to be effective at getting to the quarterback by whatever means necessary. So, um, you know, I always kind of question that line of thinking like, oh, he'll be great with the young pass rushers and stuff. Oh, that's great, but can they get to the quarterback? And after game one, we still don't know that. Um, but no, I think the whole, like for me, just with the whole big Beasley thing, like I do, you know, it, it is early. Like I hope that for he gets a sack every game the rest of the season. Um, but I think he's going to, he's going to have a hard time because of the fact that even at Clemson, um, he, he did kind of see, he did stand up. He was sort of a, you know, he was a linebacker sort of in the DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller role. Um, he wasn't really, you know, an all down lineman. And in college, he could use his speed to overpower bigger um, offensive linemen. He can't do that in the league against a 300, 320-pound offensive lineman who can just get back in their stance and just keep blocking them. Um, he, he's not effective or big enough to do that. And as we saw with his uh, – his, I don't even know how you call it a spin move because he didn't get started. <laughs> but uh, whatever moves that he was trying to pull on Sunday, it was an embarrassment. So he, he's got to – they got to figure out a way for him to be effective because uh, that was not the case uh, on, on Sunday. Yeah. So the Beasley experiment continues. In AV's mind, he's a bust right now. He's a bust. I said and, it. And he said it. So we'll mark this down. We'll remember this day. And uh, let's keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. It's, it's time for AV's Why the Saints Suck segment. <laughs> Saints took an L uh, this past Sunday, 35-34, to our week two opponent, the Oakland Raiders. They actually blew a lead, uh, 24-13, and the Raiders came back and won 35-34. to So, uh, A.V., go ahead and tell us why the Saints up. Yeah, it's a, it's a you know it's a, a annual tradition to talk about why the Saints suck, man. We started this segment last year as a, a way to kind of get at our hated rival. I'm gonna keep this one short and sweet because anytime the, the Saints lose, it's typically short and sweet. So, uh, reason number four thousand seven hundred sixty-five why the Saints suck. In typical Saints fashion, the New Orleans Saints began the season with a loss. Sunday marked the fifth time in the last six season openers. That's that the Saints have lost. This time it was the Oakland Raiders, as Rome just mentioned, who got the comeback victory over New Orleans in the Superdome 35-34. Head coach Jack Del Rio 
uh, went for two points and got it late in the fourth quarter. And the, uh, the Raiders were able to hold on and get the win over New Orleans. So, uh, like I said, it was going to be short and sweet, but that is reason number 4,765 why the Saints suck, as always. And another small tidbit that I just saw looking at the box score, their kicker, the Saints kicker, uh, went to Georgia State. And, yeah, we went two for four, missed a 61-yarder. that They attempted to try to win it, but I didn't know that. So, Georgia State. Uh, as a kicker in the league. Don't know if he'll last long. They don't know how long. Yeah, Sean Payton said they're going to keep him, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So let's look at briefly look at this uh, upcoming game against the Raiders. Uh, we just talked about them winning. Derek Carr, one of the better young quarterbacks in the league, and the Raiders um, you know, have some, some talent in the backfield with Latavius Murray. Of course, the wide receiving core is pretty good with Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree. Uh, a talented tight end and Clive Walford on the come up. And, of course, that defense, uh, Khalil Mack, Bruce Irvin, David Emerson back in the uh, defensive backfield, Reggie Nelson. They have some guys that will probably give us some headaches if, if we're not on our P's and Q's uh, this coming Sunday. Trent, give me a couple keys uh, for this game against Oakland. I think this is going to be a, a, a very tough game. I mean, we had we had trouble with – uh, the Bucks uh, defense. So, I mean, the Oakland, on paper, they have one of the top defenses in the league. I mean, you alluded to the uh, talent that those guys have over there. So I think that this could be a very tough game for us. Um, also, just the fact that, well, I guess one thing that we we do have um, going for us is that we're, we, I don't know why this is a weird, um, weird stat, but we've been a better away team than we have at, at, at home. So I'm guessing those guys I'm, – I'm hoping those guys can actually come out and, and just be productive because I'm looking – I'm actually looking past this Oakland game. The next For the next five weeks, we have to go to Oakland, which is the, this Sunday. We have to go to Denver. We have to go to Seattle. We uh, The Panthers actually come in here. I mean, if we go down to uh, – if we lose to the Raiders, I can see this team being 0-6, 0-7 uh, midway through the, through the season. So – they have to change. What about you, Av? I think it comes down to two uh, two key themes. Um, I think, and these aren't just off of Week One. This is over the totality of the last year uh, under this system. It's composure. Can the Falcons overcome the mental errors? Can we overcome the early mistakes? Can we overcome the penalties? Um, last year was a season marred by turnovers. You know. Eventually, turnovers are going to happen. That's a part of the game. Are the Falcons going to be able to overcome that? So composure. You know you're going to a place that's a difficult place to play. Uh, it's especially difficult when the Raiders are competitive. So, you know, they look every bit the part of a team that can compete in the AFC West um, and potentially make the playoffs this year. So, you know, are the Falcons going to be a team that's able uh, to stay in the game you know, when things get tough, when there's a big sack, when there's a big momentum change in play, when there's a, uh, a big yardage play against us, can we keep our composure? Can we stay in the game? Uh, my second big theme is execution. Uh, we saw it uh, or didn't see it, you know, uh, week one, one of four in the red zone. Um, we, we didn't see, you know, the run game get on track at any point. Um, we didn't really see, uh, you know, Julio Jones. You know, we haven't, we didn't talk about him a whole lot in this, uh, in this, this podcast either. 
And that kind of reflects what happened in the game. He kind of was an afterthought, which is crazy when you look at the performance and A.J. Green had up against the Jets, you know, against Darrell Revis on Sunday. When you look at what Antonio Brown did last night in Washington, um, those are two of the best receivers in the game. And their quarterback is doing everything in their power to get that guy the ball as often as possible. Our guys and our coaching staff have got to make Julio a priority. Julio's got to get targeted 10 times or more, you know, Sunday. He's got to be a main part of the game plan. We can't allow ourselves to not uh, force the issue with him. Um, and then I want to see what they do with Matt Ryan. You know, Matt had a, had a decent game statistically. You know, can't say anything wrong with it. But he didn't, he didn't attack uh, Tampa. He didn't go after Tampa. Uh, he didn't force the issue. Um, you know, the turnovers he had last year were a lot of them inexcusable. You know, he wasn't helped by a lot of receiver drops as well. But I need Matt Ryan to be the guy who can sit back there and attack. And I need him to be able to have control of his offense, control of the, the huddle, control of the tempo of the game. Um, he didn't look like himself. He, he looked off. So I'm hopeful that the coaching staff can do everything in their power to get Matt Ryan to be that guy who can attack a defense, who can dissect the defense, make the changes at the line if necessary. We need that guy to come back. I don't mind an interception if we're going to be aggressive. I don't mind an interception if he's trying to make a play downfield. It can't happen every play, but him playing tentative and playing scared and going for a five and 10 yards when he can go for 30 or 40, that's not how we're going to win. So um, I'm hopeful that they kind of get Matt Ryan in a place where he can attack and uh, can make some plays and make some things happen. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with the, the Matt Ryan assessment. Felt like in the Tampa Bay game, he wasn't – of course, he's going to throw those boneheaded picks, but sometimes I feel like he's at his best when he's going downfield, being assertive, and, you know, hitting hitting those guys deep. And we saw what Muhammad Sanu can do. His first – what, his first play was what, a 59-yarder. So – I think – We got the weapons. We, oh, we've been talking – We've been talking about this since last year, but I think on in one drive um, on Sunday, we actually uh, ran an up-tempo offense, and we were actually able to get the ball in the end zone. Why? Like, I don't understand why Shanahan doesn't actually run it more. I'm, I'm pretty sure you can't run that 24-7. Of course, you don't want your defense tired and your defense playing all these um, – playing a crazy amount of time on the, uh, on the field. But we have to run that up-tempo offense. Um, I mean, you have to do something, basically. You can't just basically line up and allow the defense to um, get in their coverage and do it. Like, we just we, – we have to run that up-tempo offense. That is one of our uh, benefits of our offense. And the, the interesting thing about that, too, Trent, is when, you know, Dan Quinn was asked about that very same point. You know, you have – like you said, you've got the hurry-up, which Matt Ryan has flourished in throughout his career. Um, which is different than a no huddle, which, you know, obviously there is no huddle. The guys are just getting up to the line and just, you know, going for it, running plays, as opposed to a hurry up where the pace is quicker. But there may still be a quicker huddle. Um, but that's always to the advantage of the offense. The offense can dictate pace. The quarterback can dictate tempo. Um, and that's something that Matt Ryan has had a lot of success with, especially when you think about all of his comeback wins early in his career, uh -huh. um, late in games, leading those field goal tying or, or game winning drives. That was something that he excelled in. So it's it's I like it's almost a resistance from this coaching staff. They don't, you know, Dan Quinn said he didn't feel like it was necessary when he was asked about it uh, to run a no huddle or to run an up tempo uh, toward the end or even in some of these games. So it's it's interesting why that there's 
it, it doesn't seem like they're comfortable with Matt Ryan doing that. And that's what it, you know, I keep going back to, are they comfortable with Matt Ryan as the quarterback? And I keep seeing things that make me think maybe they're not. So that leads to bigger questions, bigger issues, because Matt's the guy. I know there's a lot of Falcon fans out there who are listening um, who were divided on Matt Ryan. Um, but at the end of the day, he's the, he is our starting quarterback right now. So we got to ride with him, um, you know, and see what happens. And, you know, I'm a Matt guy. I want Matt to succeed. Uh, but he has not been successful or looked like himself in this offense. And some of that comes from a lack of trust in the coaching staff to give him the keys to do what he needs to do. He has not been able uh, to play the style of quarterback that he was able to do for so long uh, when he first got here. Yeah, that's a, that's a development that we'll keep our eyes on the whole season because, as A.V. said, there's a con- contingent of Falcons fans, and there have been for the last two, three, four years of, we got to get rid of Matt Ryan. Of course, there's always dynamic quarterbacks at the college level, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson at Louisville, who's only a sophomore. But, you know, a lot of Falcons fans want something. They want that old thing back. They want Mike Vick. They want a Mike Vick clone or some somebody that can be dynamic. And he was also a black quarterback. Let's keep it keep it 100. A lot of fans want to see a mm-hmm. black quarterback at the helm of our team. But when you do that, eventually uh, you're going to have some lumps as well. Mike Vick didn't win in his first year. So it's going to be some lumps as well. But for right now, Matt Ryan's a quarterback. We'll keep our eyes and ears and, and our brains on that situation. But uh, let's kind of wrap it up, guys. Any last thoughts about this past week? This upcoming week, anything? Any I think it's I think it's imperative the Falcons find a way to get a win. Uh, you know, the September 26th game is going to be the 10-year uh, anniversary of Katrina in New Orleans. Uh, we remember what happened the last time we were in New Orleans for something that, you know, commemorated uh, the Katrina uh, disaster, and it was a disaster for the Falcons. Yeah, I still remember Gleason coming unblocked and blocking Michael Kanan uh, for that, you know, for that safety, that touchdown, uh, to just to change the whole dynamic of that game. And it felt like a game the Falcons couldn't win, you know. And I, I remember watching that game and thinking, there's no way we can, can win this. Like, there's just no way. Like, the, And it wasn't even that the Saints were a better team. They had everything on their side, momentum, energy. I just remember how loud I could remember hearing that stadium over, over the TV. Um, I feel like that game is going to be a lot like that as well. You know, anytime we play them is always like that because of the rivalry. So that's going to be a tough game for us on a Monday night. Um, and then you also have, you know, you come home and play Carolina, you know, so Carolina is the defending um, NFC uh, champion. So that's not going to be easy. So, you know, like we were saying a little bit earlier, this season could get away from us real quick if you're not able to get a couple of wins um, in the early going. So um, you got to win Sunday. And, um, you know, hopefully what we saw was not uh, the continuation of a trend um, for that we saw from last season. But, and, you know, I'm hopeful that the Falcons can focus on what they need to take care of, get the fundamentals down, and go on the road and get a surprise win. Because I feel like it would be a surprise at this point for them to go on the road uh, and be the uh, young up-and-coming Oakland team. So, um, you know, I'm hopeful because if they don't get it on Sunday, it might be tough to get a, a win here soon. Yes, sir. I think um, 
we should pay close attention to uh, Julio. We didn't talk about Julio. This um, his, he was actually he wasn't productive on Sunday, actually because he was injured, and we've seen him injured throughout this um, this preseason for the most part. I think he actually he said he reaggravated his uh, his ankle sprain from the preseason. So we do need to pay close attention to that because if if Julio can't go or if he can't if he can't be productive, then yeah, you can already um, write this check. This season is over. Um, and I mean, we remember that season we didn't have Julio. I think we went with four and twelve. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it was it was disgusting. So um, I'm I think we we need to pay close close attention to that because Julio is he is uh, our franchise right now. Yep. So Julio Jones and just uh, Av highlighted the importance of this game, and every game is important. But as we look at our look forward to the next four weeks after this Oakland game, if we don't get this win here, it could get ugly, and uh, there'll be some unrest in Atlanta. Of course, heading to next season with the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Maybe some heads rolling. <laughs> yeah, and maybe yes. some heads rolling. We. And Trent, you said it right. I mean, if 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 this season starts to go the way that some are predicting or some are are fearful that it goes, some heads are going to roll. Arthur Blank still has personal seat licenses to sell for the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. He's not going to take everybody from this team and just roll in there. I mean, they're already having a tough time filling the dome uh, as is. And just imagine going into a brand-new stadium with this la- this level of um, kind of blah toward the Falcons. So – you're absolutely right. Heads will roll if this season ends up becoming a bust. You know, it's either going to be a Matt Ryan or Kyle Shanahan. Uh, one of those are going to have to go. Dimitrov, he's he's still firmly on the hot seat. Um, yeah. I, I don't think Dan Quinn is on the hot seat. Um, I don't think he's on the hot seat. But, you know, you never know how the season will go. I don't think that Arthur Blank wants to cut bait after two years, but – you know, we'll see how this season unfolds, but I don't think he would want to fire him unless it just completely fell apart, um, you know, the rest of the year. So there we have it, Falcons fans. Uh, remember, everybody, follow us on Twitter at Burbras. Shoot us an email, Burbras at Gmail. Follow us on Facebook. So uh, keep checking out, checking us out for all our Burbras, Trent, AV, AD. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Peace.